Alright, last two weeks we've studied the brazen altar which you're familiar with. That's the article of furniture sitting right here at the entranceway coming into the outer court. We went through all the elements of that. This week we're moving over to the brazen lava and we're going to study that, hopefully get through with that today. I'm going to try to for a reason. You remember last week I pointed out again, and I'll probably do it again because it's vitally important, from right here to right here there's brass on wood. From right here to right here there is no brass. The judgment is gone. It ends right here with the labor, and from here there's nothing but the atoning silver and the gold that represents the deity of Christ. The section in here, this is 45 foot long, 15 foot wide. There's a bale in the middle that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. This section here, 15 feet by 30 feet, is a place of service. And we'll begin to look at that next week. The three articles of furniture in there where the priest came in and ministered service unto the Lord God, preparing to go into the holy of holies. So I, early in this lesson, I shared with you that all of this is tied together. It's important that you see it as one unit. It's not seven different pieces of furniture. It has one theme, one common gold in it. So you need to see it as a picture. Now I said we looked at the, uh, there's seven pieces of furniture there. Someone asked me about that. They said we can't find but six. I separated the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies from the mercy seat. It's separated in its typology and in everything when you get to the scripture. So I, I, instead of six, I know it goes on top of it, but it's described separate. It has a whole separate connotation to it. So we're looking at it in seven. Now last week we looked at the altar, the brazen altar, and we named that what? Christ. Come on. Christ our sacrifice. It pictures Christ our sacrifice of the New Testament where he was lifted up. He was offered for the sins of the entire world. All of that is pictured as you know in the four horns and four corners and everything that's there. I'm going to give y'all a written test for long. Y'all going to have to study a little harder. We're going to fail. Yeah, you're going to fail and have to take this course over. Today we're looking at the labor, the brazen labor. And we're naming that. It's going through, and I'm trying to alliterate it. Christ our sacrifice, Christ our sanctification. Where we are continually, daily sacrificed, uh, sanctified uh, there at the labor. A labor, everybody knows what a labor is. That's a wash basin. That's where people wash. And I'm going to try to move along fast because I want to get to the last point. I put it out on the email the other day that it was a tremendous lesson. I want to get to it. But let's look at, let's look at the scriptures first in Exodus chapter 30 and begin reading in verse 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet thereat, 
when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offerings made by fire unto the Lord, so shall they wash their hands and their feet that they die not. You might want to underline that phrase in verse 20 and 21. Uh, we're looking at a serious matter about this washing. He said twice, they die not. In other words, if they went into the holy place to do service and did not go in there with clean hands and clean feet, God said, I'll kill you. That's serious. Amen. And it shall be a statue forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. All right, let's see if we can get this covered. The material of the labor, it's given to us right here in uh, verse number 18. It's made clear. It, uh, says, it says, make it of brass. Now, there's no wood involved here. There's no wood. This is a solid piece of brass. We'll see that illustrated when we get to the solid piece of gold. But it's a solid piece of What does brass symbolize in the Old Testament and New Testament? Judgment. Judgment. You're doing better. Okay, you went from C minus to C. Now, somebody asked me last week, I forgot who it was, but they said, what is the difference between brass and brazen? None. Uh, if you will look at it... Uh, in this uh, very text here, it's not vitally important, but it talked about a brazen altar and talks about a brass altar, a brass uh, labor. But the Greek word, and I cannot pronounce it, it's E with an at sign, C-H-O-S-H-E-T-H. -H -E You've got it in your outline right there. It's translated throughout the scripture. Some places it's translated brass. Some places it's translated bronze. Some places it's transferred brazen. I put that in just so we could answer that question. I think it was Keith uh, Plunk's wife, but they're out of town on a trip this weekend. But it is important. Now, let's look at uh, bees, the source of this brass. Where did it come from? Go over to Exodus chapter 38 because there's a good picture here. Exodus chapter 38 and verse number 8. And he made the labor of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now today, we don't have any brass looking glasses unless somebody's got an old antique when they polished up. What do we use today? We use a glass mirror. They create working glasses. In this day, they did not have any glass mirrors. They'd never heard of a glass mirror. They took a piece of highly uh, quality brass and they polished it and polished it and polished it and polished it till it became very clear and uh, very distinctive. When you look at it, you could identify everything you needed. It was a looking glass. So what is called a looking glass uh, is actually made of brass in that day. So the, the, the brass that was used to make the labor 
was taken, was given freely, given as a free will offering by the ladies of their looking glass. Uh, they didn't have mirrors, they used this, but they gave them and they were highly polished. Now that's symbolic of what we're studying this morning. Uh, number one, they used them to do what? What they use these looking glasses for? Look at themselves. Right? It was a reflection. Uh, go to, just let me, you can go if you want to, but let's read a verse quickly in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, that's somewhere back here in the New Testament. James chapter 1 and verse 22, you're all familiar with this. James says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, watch now, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. We practice that a lot, don't we? Yes, we so the the uh, the the brass laver made of this highly polished brass. When the priest came over and looked in it, he could see himself. What does it reveal? Every time you look in a looking glass, every time you look in this polished brass, it reveals that you're a sinner, and the brass says you're under judgment. Every time. There's not a time in your life or my life when you don't go look. And the, and the looking glass, he said, is like the Word of God. Every time that they, the priest went and looked into that mirror with that brass underneath of it that reflected him, he was reminded that he was a sinner and he was had dirty hands and dirty feet. And he could not care on the service of God until he washed. So you had the mirror reveals our sin. The brass tells us we're under judgment. The water, they said, verse number 18, he said, put water in it. The water is what we wash with. Now, what is the water picture here? Ma'am? Pictures the Word of God. Uh, you and I go to the Word of God and read. We look at it. We see ourselves in it, and we realize that We've got sin in our life in certain areas, and God reveals that and convicts us of that. And we know already that we're under judgment when we're not right with God. We've not been obedient. We've got something in our life. But God washes us, if we're willing to, with the water. Uh, in Exodus 30, verse 18, it said, put water in it. Now look over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 5, you're familiar with this, but we'll look at it anyway. Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 26, I'm sorry, not 6, 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it, how? With the washing of water by the word. God uses this book right here to wash us. It's not literal water. The literal water in that brazen was symbolic of this book that will wash us and cleanse us from all sin. And we could go on, John chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus said, You are now made clean through the what? The Word. So the material in that braver was, was brass. It was made a mirror. It was water symbolizing washing us. And it speaks of Christ, our sanctification. 
sanctification. It's progressive cleaning. We're sanctified once and for all. We're sanctified once and for all in Hebrews 13, 12. Let me read that to you. Hebrews 13, chapter 12. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. You and I, we've received the Christ. We've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. We have been sanctified once for all forever. But we're going to see we walk in a dirty world. And there's no way to avoid. We'll get to that in a minute. Number two, let's look at the location of the labor. And we'll try to cover that very good night. Last week, this thing froze up on 13 minutes. I think we had to record the whole lesson. The location. Look at Exodus chapter 30, verse 18. I think you all know where it's at. But it said, Thou shalt also make a labor of brass, and its foot shall be of brass, and to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water in it. Now it's spelt out even clearer in uh, chapter 39 and verse 1. You've got it noted there. But it says it a little bit more. It says, And of the blue and the purple and the scarlet, they made claws of service to do service in the holy place and made the holy garments of, of Aaron as the Lord commanded. So again, it's, I'm, it's pointing out there that uh, they were going, these priests that were coming into the labor, they, were, they stopped right here to wash. That was absolutely necessary for them. And brother, it's absolutely necessary for us today that you don't try to go in and serve God without a clean hand and clean hearts and clean feet. God doesn't use a dirty vessel. I have known some people that tried to minister and had sin in their life and they called themselves ministering being used of God. I said, no, you're not. You're just going through the motions. And all you're doing is causing trouble instead of doing good. And we'll look at that. You know, I pointed out already how serious this was back over in Exodus chapter 30, verse 20. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, that's that's where they're entering into the holy place of service. They shall wash with water that they die not. There's a lot that could be said about that. Well, we'll try to cover it a little bit, but, you know, let me stop and point this out. Once a person is saved, they become a child of God. Immediately, there's an expectation from God. What is it? That we begin to serve Him and honor Him in some way, somehow. I won't take time to go over today. Let me just point out three quick things. You need not turn there. We studied this back a couple of years ago when we went through the gifts. But let me just point out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, nobody is excluded from living for and serving God. One, one of us does it one way, one does it another. But God's got a place for every one of us. Let me just point out quickly, talking about these spiritual gifts that God gave in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. He said, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to what? Every man. 
Then you go on down to verse 11. But all these, talk about the gifts, worketh that one in the same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Then you can skip on down into uh, verse 18. He says it again. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. Without doing a lot of repeating, we've been over this picture of these boards in the tabernacle. We're all rightly fitted together. We're all equal. We're all important. Every one of us, brother, I can't impress upon y'all too much. God gave you a gift when you got saved. God gave you a gift. And God expects us to do our part, function that gift. And we've got probably 40 people in here. We've got 300 people in there in that auditorium. If only one Christian that's born again, that's a member of this local church, says, I ain't going to do my part, you affect all 299 that's left. The church might go on and function, but it will not function 100% efficiently until every person does their job. You can take a massive engine that they put together and take one part out of it. It might run, but it won't run effectively. Are y'all with me? Yes. You know, I've thought about this. I've prayed about it. See how God leads. We may go back and restudy the gifts of the Spirit after we've seen how important this is. And hopefully you can find what God, where God fitted you in the body. Because God fitted everybody for service. Let's look at the method of using the labor very quickly again because I want to get to the last point. Uh... The method of using it, we looked at it in Exodus chapter 30, verse 18. Number one, we've already looked. The priest, look at Exodus 29, 1 through 4 real quick. Uh... Verse 1, And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them that hallow me, to minister unto me in the priest's office. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish, and the unleavened bread and cakes unleavened tempered, and oil and wafers unleavened anointed with oil, and of wheat and flour shall thou make them, and thou shalt put them into one basket, and bring them into the basket, and the bullock and the two rams. Now watch, and Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall wash them with water. We're not going to take time to study today. But that priest, when he came here once a year, once a year, now not you and I, don't confuse this, he had to be washed all over. He had to be washed all over. Scripture's clear on that. That was symbolic for the year coming. Now you and I have been washed once for all. We don't have to be washed all over again. Thank God for that. And we don't practice foot washing. It wouldn't do any good because everybody would wash their feet before they came. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> How many of us going to come in here with dirty feet? <laughs> you know, my feet be cleaner than anybody's ever seen. But he came in, they came in and they were washed all over. But now you come to that labor. Why did he have to wash again every day? Because huh? we walk in this world every day. Alright, the picture is, now we pointed this out before, I'm going to give you all the test for sure. This is the most elaborate, most expensive building that's ever been built for its size, even up till today. 
No building can compare with the beauty of this and the expense of it and the cost of it. All of the gold, all of the silver, all that's in it, over two million pounds of silver. But as elaborate as it is, it had no floor in it. Right. Dirt. Somebody tell me what that picture's. The priest was walking in the world and he got his feet dirty. Are y'all with me? Where do you and I walk every day? You gotta get your feet dirty too. I don't care how sanctified you are. Every billboard you look at, every sign you look at, every magazine you pick up, everything you hear on the street walking around in the public, I don't care what it is, where it is, we're gonna get tainted by the world that we walk in. We're going to walk in it. We're going to see it. We're going to handle it. Not intentionally, but it's out there. Amen. Turn, if you will, quickly now to uh, we'll see the picture of that in the New Testament. The Lord made it very clear. Turn to John chapter 13. you remember this. John chapter 13. We'll try to go quickly, but let's look. Chapter 13. Uh, let's read in verse 2. And the supper being ended, the devil having now put it into the heart of Simon, of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Now watch, you'll see, I, I pointed out already how much these, the New Testament refers to the tabernacle. You're going to see the picture. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. Thank God for Simon. And Peter said unto him, Lord, why thou, Lord, does thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do knowest not now, knowest thou not now, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, sound like Billy Bailey, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet but is clean ever white, and ye are clean, but not all. You all see the picture? He said, Peter, you've already been washed. You know, we, we live in a society today when people go out here and they get saved, and they're, prob they're truly saved. But they don't grow in the Lord. They come out here and they get their life messed up and get sent in their life. They come back, what do they want to do? They want to get saved again. Yeah. 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 He said, Peter, you don't need to be washed all over. You just need to have your hands and your feet for us where you've been out here walking in the world and you've got dirty. And he said, if you don't let me wash you, what did he say? If you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. You can't go into the holy place and minister to God with dirty feet. Now, I got no apology to make. And of course, I'm not talking about y'all, but I got no apology to make to anybody anywhere that I know they got sin in their life. And they say, oh, well, I'm being blessed to use of God. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're a hypocrite. You're not right with God. And by and by, God will chastise you if you've been born again. 
God doesn't use dirty vessels. Yeah. Now, there's another quick example here, too. You know, Jesus went on and said, you do likewise. I won't elaborate on that. that but where do we, what, what comes up there? When there's an offense between you and me, what are we supposed to do? I'm supposed to forgive you and you're supposed to forgive me. We're supposed to go on as if we had never offended each other. Yeah. Amen. I need to repeat that. <laughs> Probably needs to be done from the pulpit. Yes. I was talking to the preacher about that. We were talking about how sad it is that we've got people in this church that criticize other people in this church, even the pre even even our pastor. Yeah. God help us. Amen. But one day, God will take care of that. Let me just touch on this quickly, and we're going to get to the last point about the priest. When he went in and washed his hands and his feet and went into the service of the holy place to serve God and to serve the people, represent the people, he ministered life. If a priest went into that holy place and he did not wash, just what we've been talking about, if you and I don't go to God for cleansing day by day and we go up on the platform or behind the lectern or wherever else and try to serve God, we do what? We minister death. We minister death. No doubt, and I don't know where you've been, what churches, who you've been around, it doesn't really matter, but there's no doubt about this, I don't think. You've probably been in a service somewhere where somebody preached, somebody taught, somebody sang a special, and you didn't feel a thing. Yeah. Somebody sang because they're trying to impress us, not glorify God. That's death. Somebody preached, and the Holy Spirit of God was quenched and grieved, and there was no moving of the Holy Spirit. That's ministering to death. There's a lot of things involved, and I'm not going to try to name all of them. But I am trying to say, brother, you and I need to be cleansed by the Word of God. I put this forth several times before you get out of bed in the morning. You ought to make sure your heart's cleansed, your life cleansed, your sins forgiven. You get out of bed with clean feet. And you ought to pray and ask God to keep your mind stayed upon him and to remember that he might come today. And I get out of, before I get out, I say, Lord, I pray you'd go before me and plan my day. I claim the promise you said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I said, God, I want you to order my steps in everything I do, everything I think, and everything I say. And I might be pleasing unto them. Now, do I do that? No, I make mistakes. I get aggravated with people and say something I shouldn't say and do something, think things I shouldn't think. But I mean, don't, don't raise your hand. But I hope you're starting your day like that. You get into a practice of that, it'll be the first thing you do every morning when you get up, and it'll change your day, it'll change your life, it'll change everything about you if you'll start it with God. Start it right. And none of us in here today, I know all of you well enough to know that you don't want to be a minister of death. Now, I've rushed through this. If y'all got any questions, let me just sum this up. I've said in here, you know, you preach unwashed, the message will be like death. You teach unwashed, the lesson will be like death. You sing unwashed. Anytime anybody does that, you, if you're right with God, anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll say, something's wrong. Something's wrong. 
Have y'all done that? Y'all felt that? God help you and I to be careful that we stop at that labor. Now, I still got a little time. Number five, the measurements of the labor. You know, we went through these eight, seven pieces back when we gave the overview and all of that. But let me refer back just to last week. You remember how detailed God was when he told Moses how to build that brazen altar. He said you build it five cubics by five cubics and you build it three cubics high and he gave all the dimensions. He, he gave the entire plan. Now if you go through out of the seven, he did that with five of the articles of furniture. He told him exactly how high to build it, how long to build it, how big to build it, what kind of ornaments to put on it. I mean, he didn't leave anything out. There's no measurements on the brazen labor. There's no measurements, and there could have been. He could have said, you make it two cubics high. He could have given the diameter. He could have given the circumference. It's not because that he couldn't have. He could have. Y'all all with me on that? There's no depth to it. There's no measurements of any type. You ought to shout about that. <laughs> you say, what's that mean? It means when you and I come to the labor of the Word of God to wash, there's no limits to forgiveness. There's no bounds of our being cleansed from all unrighteousness. None whatsoever. If he would have put a measurement on it and a limit to it, it would have bounded up to where you can only go this far. You remember when Peter said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother seven times? And I think the Lord laughed. He probably said, Peter, how dumb can you get? You've known me all this time. He said, not seven times, seven times 70. And he did not mean 490 times. He said, you're to keep on and keep on and keep on. Aren't you glad God didn't stop forgiving you at 490 times? If you did, none of us would be here today. But the fact that he put no measurements on it means you and I have unlimited forgiveness no bounds to our being cleansed and there's no conditions there's not one ornamental piece on that brazen altar the only requirement is come and wash and if you and I go to the labor of the word of God to wash we have the assurance of God he said if you confess her sins I'm faithful and just to forgive you of sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and if you'll remember 1 John 1 9 there's no limits on it there's no conditions on it except you come come with an open heart saying God I need cleansed Lord I think back over almost 80 years how good God's been God alone could keep the records of the time that I've had to come to wash I would have lost count now probably the labor there's a lot of people that have questions about whether it was a one piece, two piece, I don't know. It I think personally it's a two piece because he talked about the foot 
and I'm sure from Jewish custom they didn't touch anything it defiled so every time that they came to wash they took that fresh clean water out of the top part of it and they set their feet down there and they washed in the bottom and there was probably a drain to let that run out to where it could be filled but when they went to wash I think it's true to the scriptures they washed with fresh clean uncontaminated water those Jews would not have come in there David if I'd have washed my hands there wasn't no way you'd come wash your hands there to get cleansing Jews didn't do that they were minutely meticulous about touching anything that might have been unclean now I gave you an insert to go with that I hope you'll take it home and read it you and I have got unlimited forgiveness by coming to the water of the word of God and being washed we have some religions we have some people that say well I've got the promise of God I can be forgiven I can be cleansed everything's all right so I can go out and sin and do whatever I want to you can (laughs) but there's a price to pay when you do that's called a doctrine of antinomianism now I won't take time to explain it has everybody got this sheet that we put out up here there is a true doctrine of antinomianism there is a false doctrine Catholic Church practices antinomianism they say matter of fact in the Catholic Church some countries you can go kneel down and confess your sins to the priest on Saturday afternoon go out and commit the sin on Saturday night you get forgiveness before you go I see I want to I want to pass the priest to the Lord in Mexico years ago he said yeah anything you want to you want to go commit adultery just come in and confess it before you go everything's okay that way you can go do it with a clear conscience that's antinomianism Catholics are not the only one that practices it <laughs> so take that home and make that a part of your notebook and later on maybe when this time comes that you'll need to teach that you'll have that in there I don't want anybody in other words the cleansing promise of God is not an excuse or a license to go out and do what you want to do alright let's pray for Brother Cutshaw again this morning that God would bless him as we do Dan you lead us in prayer will you